So 7.36, and obviously, again, we wish all the Sunung takers the best of luck. But for now, let's reflect on the subject of educational innovation. After last week's interview with one of the biggest names in the field, Sir Ken Robinson, we have another renowned expert joining us on the line today, Tony Wagner, Senior Research Fellow at the Learning Policy Institute, author of most likely to succeed, preparing our kids for the innovation era. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. My pleasure. Can you first just lay the the bedrock of of this argument by addressing the gap between being ready for college and being ready for an actual career in the U.S.? Well, to go to a good college in the world today, you have to have very high test scores. You have to have a high grade point average. You have to fill out your resume with jobs and internships and extracurricular activities, none of those are relevant for a job in the innovation era, not one. The problem is that in the innovation era, you, it, you have to be flexible, adaptable. You have to be collaborative. You have to take initiative. You have to be willing to take le- risks and learn from trial and error. Our schools around the world, even our best schools, don't teach any of those skills or dispositions. Is there a way of realistically expecting schools to not just teach those things, but actually to assess them? Because in our in our society, the way things are geared up is, uh, of course, uh, an evaluation system that leads children on to whatever path they're going to be on, whether that's a, a career path or, or going on to college. We have to get rid of the addiction to standardized tests and the numbers they provide. Growing numbers of employers are, in fact, doing this. Google is a very interesting example. They, Google used to only hire graduates of leading universities around the world, and they would first screen those graduates' grade point averages and test scores before they would even interview them. Well, along comes Laszlo Bach, senior VP of people uh, resources there. He analyzes the data and discovers all of the indices they have been using for hiring are, quote, worthless, unquote. He goes on to say the skills you need to succeed in a competitive academic environment bear no relationship to the skills you need to succeed in the innovation economy. Right now today, Google doesn't ask for a transcript. They don't ask for a test score. They don't even care if you have a college degree. Fifteen percent of Google's new hires do not have a college degree. And the word college does not appear on their jobs website. So what are they relying on? They are relying on collective human judgment, a series of interviews informed by evidence. Tell me about a problem you've solved. Tell me about a work internship you've had recently. Show me some work you've accomplished. So instead of testing, which does not tell us very much about character, about initiative, about entrepreneurship, about collaboration, all the things that matter Tests can't tell us anything about those qualities. Instead of relying so much on those tests, we must move towards a system of informed, collective human judgment informed by evidence. Is it more qualitative? Yes. Is it a little bit more subjective? Of course. Mm. But you simply cannot measure with a standardized test the skills that matter most that kids will need to succeed and thrive in the future. I mean, a couple of issues that immediately arise with that. One, one is fairness. How, how do we, you know, in societies where, unfortunately, corruption and nepotism can sneak into the mix, uh, sometimes more than sneak into the mix, uh, how do we 
try to make sure that subjective process is as fair as possible? You know, I've heard this very often in the Asian um, economies, and I don't have a ready answer for you. I, I w- if I were a college admissions system, though, I would try this, and I would set up some kind of external auditing control so that some external auditors, much like they would audit your books, could audit your um, admissions practices randomly. Pick, a, pick somebody and see what evidence there would be that there was any kind of favoritism or other kinds of factors involved. But I think it's a challenge. The problem is the existing system was set up, as you said, to avoid corruption. But the existing system does not prepare our kids for their future and will not prepare an entire country's economy for its future. So the question is, you know, there's, there's, you might say there's a risk factor either way. There's a risk yeah. factor with trying something different. There's a risk factor with staying exactly where you are. Well, the, the other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, if you've got a mega company like the one you mentioned before, but we've got a few of our own here who are quite desirable. If you um, lower, in inverted commas, the academic standards required for a job description, how do you ensure that you're giving a, a fair go to each of the applicants if you've suddenly got millions of, of students trying to well, again, I think you have to be extremely clear about what it is uh, the job requires and what are the appropriate forms of assessments. Google is arguably one of the most selective employers in the world. And they're, <laughs> certainly they have a problem of screening applications, but they figured out how to do it because they have recognized that the old system did not get the applicants they needed. This is the important thing to stress. Yes, there are risks moving forward, but there are serious risks with not moving forward. And that's what Google and other companies figured out. I was in uh, Ho Chi Minh City uh, three years ago at the invitation of Deloitte, the accounting and consulting firm. I had lunch with the CEO, a woman. She says to me, you know, knowing of my previous Harvard affiliation, she said, you know, we used to hire the best students from the best universities, she told me. But then she went on and kind of smiled, and she said, but it turns out they didn't work out so well. Now, Deloitte requires a summer-long boot camp as a kind of an internship to, to observe how job applicants solve problems collaboratively. So that's how Deloitte has solved this problem. And they're in Asia as well, in the midst of the same kinds of problems you find in your country. Yeah. So I think where there, where there is a need and a will, there is a way. So in, in terms of coming up with a solution here, we, we could go right down to grassroots um, here in Korea with the attitude, the obsession with education and extra education. But it seems to me, listening to you, that we'll be banging our head against that wall and maybe set up a few schools with, uh, with, with the principles that we're describing, but, but, but it'd be very hard to go against the, the general grain unless companies play their part. In other words, if suddenly the companies at the top of the employment ladder change their screening process, change their application style, then suddenly everyone else is going to realize it's a waste of time doing what they're doing, um, presumably. Do you think top-down? I think that's right, but I also think it's colleges. Their admissions policies have to change. They have to begin to recognize that if they want to graduate students four years 
after the end of college who have the skills needed in the workplace, they're going to have to use different criteria for admitting students. So I see the need for change at every single level. And the good news is, as I travel all over the world, I see tremendous change. I see changes in college admissions practices. I see changes in employers' uh, screening and, and, and uh, job acceptance practices. I see changes, significant changes, in high school curricula and assessments. So there, there's change. Yeah. The only question is, will be how, how long will it take? I mean, to, just to incentivize that change beyond you know an, an interest for the society, which you commendably have, for, for companies, what would your advice be to them if they if they are inspired by what you're saying and, and they think, okay, fine, we're, we're going to change how we um, screen our applicants this year. We're going to change how we hire. Um, what would be the criteria that you would advise them to look at? And I know that it would vary from industry to industry, but what would the general principles be? Well, here's what we know about the innovation era. The innovation era, first of all, demands that people work collaboratively. Conventional schooling doesn't doesn't reward or encourage that or provide many opportunities for it. So that's the first step. You know, you're going to have to, as an employer, screen for evidence that a person is a team player. Secondly, uh, schools uh, create fear of failure and a compliance mentality, whereas the innovation era demands that you take risks, that you learn through trial and error, and that you take initiative. So that's the next set of skills that companies are going to have to look for. Is this person, what evidence do we have that this person has shown initiative, has been willing to take smart, intelligent risks? Can this person tell us about a time where they've made a mistake and recovered, that they have perseverance? And then, of course, the ability to think critically is absolutely essential. And to me, that comes often down to the kinds of questions people ask. You know, you go into a good school and you ask, who's asking what kinds of questions? Most of the time there, guess what's on the teacher's mind kinds of questions? Factual recall. So I think employers can sort of assess candidates by saying, okay, what, what, course, what questions do you have as a candidate for our business, for right. our company? What questions do you have for us, and are they good questions? Interesting. Finally, um the Finland example, uh, just to get a comparison here, you were involved in a documentary, The Finland Phenomenon Inside the World's Most Surprising School System. Is there anything that we should be paying attention to that can translate, uh, for example, their absence of a standardized test? It's, a, it's an excellent question. Forty years ago, Finland had an underperforming, predominantly agrarian economy. They reached a consensus that they were not going to thrive in the 21st century without fundamentally transforming their schools. They began not with testing, but with teacher preparation. They totally transformed the preparation of teachers, and then they created essentially a dual-track high school. In, In Finnish high schools today, you have a choice between an academic track leading straight to university, and a career technical education track that leads straight to a good job. In both tracks, you can go to university. That's not off the table. But the latter track has been developed in close collaboration with businesses and leads straight to good-paying jobs, something that does not happen in many other countries. And it's, most importantly, tracks that are driven by student choice, not by test scores. 
Finland doesn't. The, only, the first exam a student ever takes in Finland is the high school matriculation exam. They have four years to prepare. They don't like the exam results. They can take it over. And here's the really interesting thing. The exam is entirely essay-based. No factual recall question. Yeah. Thank you again. It's wonderful to have you on the line with us, inspiring us. Of course, there are lots of students who are going to have to sit down and, and take the traditional test model today, and this is not going to happen overnight. So, best of luck to all of them. But thanks for your time. And folks wanting to know more can go to tonywagner.com. Tonywagner.com and Tony Wagner, the man yep. himself of Learning Policy Institute. Thank you for speaking with us. My great pleasure.